Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shape metal. Please visit us on our website, The Metal Pit, at themetalpit.org, where you can find album reviews, interviews, videos, photos, and live show reviews. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at The Metal Pit. And for some video interviews, check us out on YouTube at... Oh, oh, sorry, youtube.com at the metal pit 666. You can email the podcast, podcast at the metal pit.org, if you have any questions, album suggestions, or whatever. And also, our website, we're looking for a few more volunteer writers. So, if you're interested, please email me at info at the metal pit.org. Today, I'm oh, I'm your host, Blake. I guess I should have said that. And today I have with me two of my writers at the Metal Pit. I got Eric and Billy. How are you guys today? All We're good. doing great. How are you doing? Good. Now it's I'm gonna mention it's 10 a.m. in the morning when we're recording this podcast. It's a little early for what we usually do, <laughs> but it just worked out that way. So we better not pick a really heavy band to start with and at 10 a.m. <laughs> Or we just need a double shot of espresso and then keep the heavy music coming, right? Yes. So today we're going to talk about the band Sabotage and their 1991 album Streets, a rock opera. Uh, Sabotage is an American heavy metal band founded by brothers John and Chris Oliva. Hope I'm saying that right. In 1979 in Florida. The band was first called Avatar, but shortly before the release of their debut album Sirens in 1983, they changed their name to Sabotage as Avatar was already taken by another band. They have released seven, oh sorry, they have released 11 studio albums, two live albums, four compilations, and three EPs. Their fourth album, Hall of the Mountain King, which is, I think, where their success really started was that one, where they finally got their name out there more than their first three albums, to me anyway. Let's see, on October 17th, 1993, six months after the release of their album Edge of Thorns, guitarist Chris Oliver was killed in a car accident. Following his death, John, his brother, the singer, along with producer Paul O'Neill, decided to continue sabotage in memory of his brother. The band released four more studio albums and went through some lineup changes before going on an extended hiatus in 2002. They re reunited for a Wacken performance in 2015. And Billy, you were there. We can talk about that now or we can talk about that later. Do you want to talk about that now, Billy? Uh, maybe we'll do it when we do the live stuff. Okay. And one more thing. I will ask you this. They... There is talk of them making another album. Billy, you know something about that, don't you? Yeah, no. So uh, you know, I've been very encouraged about a new Sabotage album for, for a couple of years. Uh, Chris Caffrey, um, 
of course, the guitar player, you know, all during COVID, he was talking about uh, on podcasts that I've seen him in that, you know, him and John are trading music uh, back and forth. But what really sort of sealed the deal is uh, John uh, did an interview with uh, Rock Hard magazine just recently uh, in April 2023, uh, and he confirmed um the the band's working uh, on a new album i mean naturally he says it's turning out to be an amazing record uh a 10 on 10 so obviously he, he's gonna say that um their target though to release the album is april 2024 because he wants to do all the big european festivals so i doubt we're gonna see um certainly no canadian or or u.s tour he's only talking european festivals uh good news for me he, he really wants to do whacking again so i already have my tickets for uh, next year um so that's cool they have they have material for three albums basically uh he's gonna cut it down to maybe two albums they're going to record uh, all that material and he may choose to release even a, another album uh, down the road off of uh, recorded music. He talks a bit about, I mean, directionally, he talks a bit about uh, poets and, and madmen uh, along the lines of the song Morphine Child. He talks about there's a queen influence. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be similar to to uh, the more the later sound of sabotage versus the older sound, but I guess we'll see. Uh, the one interesting thing he said is half the songs will be him, half will be Zach, and there'll be one or two where they do duets. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's bringing in keyboard players from TSO because he says the song structures are beyond his keyboard playing capability. So uh, <laughs> all that's kind of interesting. And, and he said it's going to be called Curtain Call. Uh, which is his farewell. So that's some pretty good recent updates from John directly. So uh, it sounds like uh, it's a definite thing for sure. That's good. I'm, I'd be very interested in hearing that. I would say Sabotage is like one of my top 20 bands ever, actually. Like getting ready for this podcast and listening to the albums again, even not that I haven't listened to them. And it's just, it's pretty yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. Yes. So uh, where am I? Okay, so we're going to talk about the 1991 album Streets, a rock opera. It was their sixth studio album, and it is a rock opera dealing with the rise and fall of a fictional musician, D.T. Jesus. It was originally released in October on 91 on Atlantic Records. It was John's last album as lead vocalist until 1995's Dead Winter Dead and 1997's The Wake of Magellan, where he shared legal lead vocal duties with Zach Stevens. He resumed lead vocals exclusively on Poets and Mad Men from 2001. Uh, let's see. Let's talk. Um, Eric, when did you first hear about Sabotage or maybe this album, if it happened to be your first one? So <clears throat> I uh, saw a video on MTV. I want to say it was Headbangers Ball. It could have been the metal half hour, honestly, because it was a long time ago. Um, but it was for Hall of the Mountain King. And I saw that video and I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, this riff is like one of the best riffs I've ever heard in my life. I still feel that way. I still feel like that song is like an 11 out of 10. 
Not that we're rating sabotage songs today, but <laughs> I saw the video and it made such an impact on me. I was like, I need to check these guys out. And um, yeah, I think after after I saw that video, I remember I picked up the cassette and I played the living Jesus out of it and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I've followed them ever since. And Billy, when did you first hear Sabotage? Yeah, I was a little late to the game, uh, late to the party on Sabotage. But for me, I discovered them uh, with Gutter Ballet. So just after uh, uh, Hall of the Mounting King, um, I, I remember seeing the musical video uh, for Gutter Ballet and, and it clicked with me right away. Loved it. I, I'm pretty sure I went out the next the uh, the next day and bought the album. So uh, quickly went backwards, got their old stuff. And then I was uh, buying each uh, new release at the time. But uh, yeah, that was my uh, discovery of the band at Gutter Ballet. Now, for me, I believe it was also Hall of the Mountain King for me. But it's, you know, when you get up in age, you forget. And we're doing all these podcasts where I'm trying to remember, <laughs> when did I first hear this group and this group and this group? But I kind of, because I looked through my vinyl, I have three vinyls and I have Hall of the Mountain King and two of the other first three, but not all three of them. But I'm kind of thinking I heard Hall of the Mountain King and then went and bought that and went back and bought the two earlier ones. And then I look and I have like nine CDs of them after because that's when CDs started, I guess. And now we're back to vinyl again, but I haven't went to get any <laughs> updated copies. So, yeah, I would think it was Hall of the Mountain King for me, too, is when I first heard them. Um, oh, wait, I also have, yeah, I also have the EP Dungeons Are Calling on vinyl also. Now the band, oh, wait, I want to say something else. For uh, this, this album actually was first going to be called Gutter Ballet. But then they didn't think they had, they were ready to do a rock opera, which they wanted to do. So they decided to skip, save that for the next album. Let's see. And uh, see, Paul O'Neill, the producer of the band, I guess since Hall of the Mountain King, was he wrote, he had a book or he wrote a story, a book, whatever. And that's Chris founded at his place and said, we should do an album on this. And that's kind of how it got going. And let's see, after, did I already say this? I don't know. After Gutter Ballet is when Chris Caffrey left. So on this lineup for this band, we got John Oliva on vocals and, of course, key piano keyboards. We got Chris on the guitar. We got John Lee Middleton on bass. And we got Steve Waltchos. I'm not sure how to say that on drums. You got a tricky name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and let's get started. Might as well just start talking about the album. So we'll talk about the opening song, Streets, uh, Billy. Yeah, so so great intro uh, to the album. Uh, I always consider this sort of one of the album's heavier tracks. Uh, it's kind of ominous uh, in its tone. Uh, kicks off with a, a children's choir in the background. Uh, pretty cool. It, it's along the style of... Um, you know, gutter ballet, or maybe even some of the uh, older albums. Uh, I dig it a lot. I mean, uh, John's vocals, he's got a wide range here. Uh, everything from his emotional singing, which he's going to do a lot of on this album, <laughs> uh, all the way up to his uh, higher uh, range screams that he's famous for. You know, we get the uh, sabotage backing vocals, uh, an excellent uh, uh, Chris. Uh, a motive solo uh sort of in the middle of the song 
just great album. I mean, great song. Uh, and it really sort of kicks off the uh, the underlying uh, DT storyline, uh, Downtown Jesus uh, and his life, sort of an intro. Um, so, yeah, great overall uh, way to start the album. And Eric? Yes, this is uh, quite the opener. Um, I love the staggered riff that Chris comes up with. And, uh, yes, the ambient choir really adds this this just kind of haunting mood to the song um that guitar solo uh in the middle with the neck pickup man chris just just performed some magic there it's a sign of things to come on on just quite quite a remarkable album i hadn't listened to this album in a number of years and um i was reminded just uh how how amazing this this track by itself is but such a great album which we'll continue talking about um, and then John, of course, with some of his shrieks there towards the end, <laughs> the trademark, I guess you either like it or you don't like it. You know, I have some friends mm-hmm. that couldn't get into him. I always thought John just had his own style. So I embraced it. I, I think it's a great song now. And I always think whenever I hear a children's choir on a song, it's always kind of hauntingly, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is good for me, I think. But that, yeah, I always get that from uh yeah, this song kind of sets up the story. Billy mentioned the story of the whole album. So it's like an intro kind of to the album, too. And then we go to Jesus Saves, which is the most played live from this album at 117 times, according to setlist.fm website. Uh, Eric, what do you want to say about Jesus Saves? But, you know, it, it starts off... Um you know, with just a a little bit of a a background. So just, just a little bit of talking to kind of warm us up for the song. And, uh, and then Chris Oliva comes in with quite the uh, killer single note riff uh, that he, that he really trademarks. um, And he just carries on, uh, on through uh, edge of thorns. But um, I've got to say, it's, it's definitely uh, one of the most entertaining songs sonically on the album. Some of the orchestration um, is reminiscent of gutter ballet, um, and that's a very good thing, in my humble opinion. And uh, Billy? <clears throat> yeah, no, uh, I, I certainly agree with uh, everything uh, Eric says. I, I think just, just this song is another example of uh, how Sabotage can write such a, a, a well-written melodic chorus that kind of sticks with you. Um, so so that stands out for me. Uh, you know, Eric talked about Chris. He has two really great uh, solo section, one more on the emotional side, another uh, faster paced solo, which is pretty cool. Um Agree. I think the orchestration is very effective the way it comes in uh, not being done for the sake of adding it. It, it fits in the song uh, and John's vocals are just so rich and mature here. Uh, I love John on this album. It, it's quite uh, stunning his performance here. And then maybe just kind of an interesting fact that I had read Um Jesus saves. There's actually two versions of the song. There's this version that they debated and it went back and forth, and they said, "Yeah, we're a metal band. We're gonna go with this version." But the alternative take is uh, same lyrics, but it's a, a gospel style, so way slower. Apparently, I've never heard it. It's quite haunting uh, as well. But they figured, well, we're a metal band. We're gonna go with the metal song, and they had enough ballads on here, so we never got that version. But I, I want to. I want to hear that version. There's there's also uh there's a 
there's a narrative version of this album too, I guess. I've never seen it, but I I read about it. Eric, you've never heard about that, have you? I have not. Okay. Yeah, I because I, I actually listened to another podcast where they talked about this album and I know the guys on there said you gotta listen to this, but I've never I've never really looked it up or anything, but I did see it researching this. So it would be interesting to hear that. I don't it's just I guess somebody's telling the story maybe before they play the songs or something. Yeah, I think so. But anyway, so then we go to tonight he grins again. And I'll let Billy start here. Yeah, so uh, a shorter track, uh, certainly compared to the first two, just over three minutes. Uh, I mean, it starts with, um, you know, John's beautiful piano opening uh, and, you know, very much an emotional song, a heavy song. And we're going to hear a lot of these type of songs uh, as the album goes through. For me, it's a real sweet spot for the band. I mean, I love when they shred as well as much as the next guy uh, or girl. But uh, these sort of soft ballad things just, you know, make the uh, hair on the back of my neck stand up. Um <laughs> Just just excellent emotional song. John's vocals are just raw, uh, emotional, kind of, you know, along the lines of Summer's Rain or When the Crowds Are Gone from Gutter Ballet. Uh, just a great, uh, a great sort of soft ballad type song. Um, I know it's about sort of a DT story, the monkey on his back, his addiction um, and coming into play. So just just a great overall beautiful song. Uh, Eric, <clears throat> well, it sounds like uh, Billy pretty much covered uh, my my notes and my thoughts about the song. So uh, well done. Yeah, I, emotion is what I take away with this. Uh, just a um, an excellent uh, piano melody that John came up with. Um, it really, really just kind of hits you in the heart. Nice vocal melodies by John, um, and and obviously that the song has some punches to it with electric guitar and then some orchestration, but it's a it's a great song. I mean, for a slower song and, and a shorter song, it, it's an excellent song. Now, I don't, as I've said before, if anybody's listened to the podcast before, I'm not a big fan of ballads, but Sabotage, I can handle their ballads. Like uh -huh. some of them, some of them move me even. And yep. <laughs> stop, there's not too many bands that move me. I mean, sure, I could listen to Metallica, it moves me, but it's in a lot different way than something like a ballad with his John's vocals and the piano. I love the piano too. I don't say I listen to too many heavy metal bands with a piano in it <laughs> or keyboards for that matter. It would be Dream Theater and Sabotage and and we want to go back to the old days, Deep Purple. That's about it, really, because that's about all I can handle. But it's so awesome the way they do it. And they definitely make it work, at least for me. Then we go to Strange Reality. And this is a lot different pace than the last song, of course. It has a really catchy riff and it's a great heavy sabotage song. Eric, what do you think of Strange Reality? This tune opens with a, uh, a nice uh, driving mid-tempo crunchy riff in uh, the key of D. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely has an 80s vibe to it. And um, I say that with, you know, with nothing but glowing, um, you know, fervor. Um, the chorus is, is very upbeat. And uh, it, it's a good song. Not one of my favorites, but it, it's a good song. It is very catchy. You know, the chorus is, is really catchy. Uh, Billy? Yeah, so we're in the reverse here. So I'll say Eric kind of hit on uh, most of my points here. Um, 
So, so yeah, I won't drag it out, but again, I, I just find it very much a, a rock opera style song, mid-tempo, uh, very melodic again, and, and I, I agree. Like, if I were doing a ranking for the album, uh, this one might sort of fall to the bottom uh, one or two uh, from my perspective, but still a good song, and you know, from a story perspective, uh, it's sort of a warning of uh, what DT uh, Jesus could become uh, if things go uh, bad for him. So, so important for the story, uh, but not my favorite track on the album. And then we get to another ballad as we have the song A Little Too Far and uh, Billy. Yeah, so I'd say all my comments for tonight, he grins again, falls here. Just, you know, beautiful song. Again, John and uh, his piano is pretty much this in this uh, entire song. Incredibly melodic, catchy, um, you know, interesting vocals at the end. Uh, you know, I'm not a big vocal guy, but I mean, I'm sure there's deeper meaning, but they always kind of stood out at the end when John uh, says, you know, John, John Wayne caught the last train out. Spock and Kirk, uh, you know, are gone and no one left to beam me up. Uh, it's kind of an odd uh, way to end the song, but... Again, somebody, you know, might know a better, deeper meaning to those lyrics, but they always stood out as a, as a bit odd uh, for me. Uh, and from a, from the story perspective, it's it's sort of DT uh, realizing that, you know, he may have gone too far in his life uh, with some of the bad things. So, so again, love it. A nice, beautiful ballad type song again. And Eric? <clears throat> Yeah, I don't really have much to add to this tune. Um, it, it's a pretty good ballad. Um, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, I don't think it's one of the the better ballads, but I think it, you know, it, it's it's at a good spot on the album. Um, I, I, I like the placement, kind of the strange reality, a little too far. And then the next track, I think it fits in there really well. Um, I like the vocals. Yeah, that's a pretty good tune. And let's go right to the next track. Then you're alive. And this is only a, this is less than two minutes. This is a really quick one here. So uh, Eric. Yeah, this one, um, you know, it, it, it's funny uh, looking back. I don't know if I really had the same perspective back in, you know, 91 or even, you know, just in the nineties on the song, but it's, you know, the, the vocals are decent. It's just, it's a short song. It's probably a lot, my least favorite on the album for whatever reason. I don't dislike the song. I just feel like there are quite a few songs that rise above it. But I do feel like this song kind of leads us into that Sammy and Tex, you know, into the next song. And Billy? <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, from a pacing perspective, I think it's good, right? Coming off a little too far, uh, your lie works well because the uh, the pace picks up significantly. Uh, so a good contrast uh, contrast there. Uh, definitely has that rock opera type feeling to it. Um, you know, I mean, it's a two minute song, so unfortunately we don't get much from Chris here. No, no standout solos uh, in two minutes. But I suspect maybe it's for the story um I mean, the lyrics kind of talk about, you know, this is sort of DT's moment and he's back and uh, the crowds are coming out to see him. So, uh, and then the way they end the song, like if you notice the song just ends incredibly uh, abrupt, uh, you know, abruptly. Uh, and that's for the story of what's about to come next for Sammy and Tex, because uh, his life is going to take a, a drastic change in the uh, next song. So uh, I would agree it's not one of the best songs, 
sense, but I think from a story perspective, it has its place there. And you can continue and start talking about Sammy and Tex then, Billy? Yeah, so Sammy and Tex, again, just from the story side of it, I mean, this is uh, really, uh, you know, DT's doing well, he's got success, but, you know, his old drug dealer comes back looking for the debt that he's owed. Uh, so, you know, uh, an argument pursues and DT's manager comes in uh, and he gets killed during the argument. So there's, you know, he's back down again, DT, uh, in his life. Uh, so that's kind of the story. But, um, yeah, you know, again, I think it's a great song. One of the uh, more aggressive, faster songs on the uh, album. Um, you know, I find it, it's a lot like older Sabotage material. Uh, you get Chris, some of his uh, older school shredding on the song. So, so, you know, John's much faster vocally. You know, I think it's a great song. Um, fits well on the album. And Eric? <clears throat> uh, this is one of the rawer songs on the album. It's uh, heavily guitar driven. Uh, I love the shuffle feel to the song. And uh, John Oliva with the, with the shriek early on in the song really kind of lets you know that they're, they're not messing around here. Mm -hmm. um, brothers John and Chris absolutely own this song. Um, this is this is one of the more rocking songs um, on the album for sure. Uh, this and Agony and Ecstasy, which we'll cover in a little while. But uh, I really, really dig the song. I've got to say to add on from a musical perspective, um, the interlude in this song is more advanced than really anything you heard in the um, early 90s as far as your progressive metal, uh, prog metal. Um, it's, it really stands out. It definitely shows some maturity and intelligence and paul o'neill's um you can definitely see he uh he kind of laid a foundation in the uh and the bandmates definitely uh executed this is one of my favorite songs on the album also because well i like my heavy stuff and fast stuff and <laughs> and by oh by the way the song you're alive i guess they've never played that one live there's a few on here they've never played it live but sometimes i think they kind of do a medley maybe we'll get to that later maybe uh Billy will fill us in on that since he's probably seen them live a bunch of times. Anyway, next song is St. Patrick's. And this also they have never played live. And this is maybe a song. I don't know. For me, it maybe took me a few lessons to have it grow on me. But it's still a good song. And Eric, what do you think of St. Patrick's? This is a pretty neat song. This I feel like this um, kind of, you know, embodies might be a strong word. But there is so much consistency, which I, I feel like both of you gentlemen would uh, would definitely agree with. That sounded too formal, gentlemen. I guess you two dudes would uh, <laughs> would agree that this this you know this definitely captures uh, really the message with streets on a musical standpoint. Billy's got the uh, the lyrical forte going here, and I'll stay with uh, the music, which is kind of my being a guitarist for over thirty years. This is kind of my in more of my wheelhouse. But I love the dynamics that they use. Some of the softer moments. Some of the heavy moments, they, Sabotage is one of the best bands, in my opinion, that really can balance out those soft and heavy moments. Not everybody can do it. It's, it's not easy as a musician. It really takes everybody in the band. But I like the song. And Billy? 
Yeah, no, agree. Uh, I, I love the song. I think it's great. Uh, it, it's again, you know, as Eric said, it, it's what Sabotage does best. Uh, the the contrast between the emotional and the heavier orchestration, uh, like in this song, it, it works perfectly. Like the orchestration uh, and the heavier moments just adds that real dramatic effect. So it works well. Um from a story perspective, of course, uh, you know, after the death of DT's uh, manager, this is really uh, DT going into uh, a church and basically looking for answers uh, about what's to uh, come next. So, uh, yeah, I love the song uh, and, and also plays a key part in the story as well. And I was just going to mention, like, we've done a lot of podcasts where we do like a thrash bands or whatever, and it's it's a little more not interesting, but when you do a band like Sabotage, where you have one, you have a ballad, then you have a faster song, and then you have a semi ballad, and it's, it just kind of mixes it up a little more when we're talking about it, I find. So Good the point. next song is Can You Hear Me Now, which is a, I guess we got another power ballad here, I guess mm -hmm. you would call it. And they've played this song once live, according to this website. Billy, what do you think of Can You Hear Me Now? Yeah, another uh, very strong track for me. Uh, again, the words uh, with, you know, the lack of, can't think of another word, but just heavy, raw emotion. Again, I, I keep using uh, emotional song, but definitely falls uh, into the uh, ballad camp. Uh, you know, I know Eric's uh, better at sort of explaining the guitar than I ever could be, but just love the uh, Chris is playing here. It's like very emotive, uh, you know, not about how fast he can play. It's just filled with uh, feeling, uh, you know, John's vocals are, are so dramatic uh, in the song. Um Again, just an emotional roller coaster uh, of a song. And from the story side of things, again, this is just DT uh, being haunted by uh, people in his past and, and thinking about some of the things he's done previously. So great song. Uh, another uh, favorite of mine. Hey, Eric. <clears throat> so this track I actually wrote the most about, um, which kind of that, that actually caught me off guard. But this is a song I've always enjoyed, and it's I, a lot of it's the emotions. I mean, it really, really kind of kind of gives me goosebumps, goosebumps, honestly, when I listen to it. Still to this day, the uh, the clean arpeggios that Chris plays on the guitar, coupled with the uh, the echoing drums, is a it's a pretty uncommon uh, you know pairing there. But the boys in Sabotage pull it off well. Um, and how about that powerful chorus, vocally yeah. and musically? I mean, that that's it, it's incredible. Um, the entire middle section is absolute genius. Uh, Chris's array of palm muting and single note riffing uh, combined with the rhythm section is an absolute is a highlight on the album. And then we go to New York City don't mean nothing. And then this has a nice acoustic opening and you might think, oh, we're going to get another ballad, but then they kick it up a notch and it's a great rocker on this album. Uh, Eric, what do you think of this song? Yes. Well, you, uh, you hit the bullseye, Blake. So it starts off slow. I remember the first time I heard the song somehow and I was like, okay, we're going for another ballad. And then boom. And there's <laughs> drums come in with the toms. And I'm like, wow, I really like the drums quite a bit here in this particular song. But yeah, it starts off slow and then boom, it hits you across the face and in a good way, you know, if you're a fan of Sabotage. Um, but yeah, it's a good song. I, I like it. 
I like everything and, uh, about it, honestly. And Billy? Yeah, I would agree with uh, you guys. I mean, certainly opens with that nice uh, acoustic intro. Uh, and again, John's uh, amazing voice. But yeah, I like the way it picks up. You could actually hear uh, Johnny Lee Middleton's bass pretty strongly, uh, sort mm -hmm. of in the instrumental part of the song, which is cool. Another, you know, very memorable, well-written uh, chorus. Um, yeah, I think you guys said it uh, best. And then we go to Ghost in the Ruins, which is actually also a name of one of their live albums, which was a tribute to Chris on his passing. Uh, this is one of my favorites from this album. And I think this song is kind of like a classic Sabotage song. So if you met somebody who didn't know who Sabotage was, you'd play this and say, this is kind of says who Sabotage is, even though they have lots of different things going on of course but billy what do you think of ghost in the ruins yeah definitely one of the uh strongest songs on the album i mean it's a sabotage uh, masterpiece dare i say uh you know love the uh the chunky guitar it's a quicker piece song uh john just shines on vocals um such a mature vocal delivery the band on backup vocals very good here as well uh, the chorus is just a total earworm. Uh, it's so well written. Uh, again, just love this track. Uh, some great interplay between Johnny and Chris towards the middle uh, of the song from an instrumental uh, side of things. Uh, and yeah, I just love that vocal part where John's, you know, he shouts like, I know what you know. Uh, it sort of, you know, again, makes the hair on the back of my neck stand every time I hear it. it just such a raw emotional vocal delivery um really good song uh, for sure and eric so arguably the most balanced song on streets with heavy and melodic moments throughout um yeah chris uh really uses some uh, some nice tension on his rhythm playing but uh john compliments it with yes he has that raspy voice but he has a really nice uh verse melody going there which kind of kind of counter like balances out uh, the riff there. Um, but uh, the, the solo is certainly a highlight. His shredding adds just another layer of intensity. And uh, and just like Billy, I'm 100%. I'm I mean, you guys, we're all old school Sabotage fans. So you, you can't help but relish when John's, you know, doing as I know at the very end of the song, just kind of adding to the climax of the song. Just, just the only way that he can do it, man. What a great track. One of the best. And then we go to another ballad with <laughs> if <laughs> if I go away, which in this uh, song has some thought provoking lyrics. Maybe I won't say anything about that in case Billy does. So, Billy, what do you think of if I go away? Yeah. So, you know, as you said, and, and I guess maybe this is a good place to say, I mean, for me. This is my favorite Sabotage album, but like I can understand why, it, you know, it, it's a controversial album for some just because of all the ballads, right? Like, you know, if you prefer the older material, then... I don't know, you might be disappointed. A lot of podcasts I hear, you know, people, you know, they're either love it or hate this album or or, or somewhere in the middle. But um, yeah, again, so so just wanted to sort of preface with that, because again, this is yet another ballad and then we're going to end with a trio of ballads shortly. Um, so, so it's heavy on that style. But, you know, we've said it already, just another emotional ballad. John and his piano, um, great chorus. 
just raw emotion and pain in, in the vocals. Um, and from a story uh, side of things, again, it's just DT wondering, you know, what the world would be like without him if he sort of took his life. Um, so it's a heavy song as well, lyrically uh, and musically. Uh, great one. And Eric. Yeah, so this track, uh, this one, this one gives me some chills with the uh, piano intro. Um, I feel like John is really kind of found he's not super gifted on the piano but he knows what he knows what he can do and he does it well and it's a, a very well thought out intro uh, and to add to that john's singing is stellar on this track uh the chorus is one of the most memorable on this album um i think i think it's a great song and, and i didn't make note of this but that chorus john john shines and then chris he doesn't overdo his lead playing. There's rhythm guitar, there's some chords sustaining, but then he has these nice, like he's sliding with, uh, you know, he's got the high gain on and he's doing these slides and bends. Very, It's very complimentary to what John's doing on vocals and what the rest of the band is doing. Um, it's really running a delicate slope because somebody could just open up and just start wailing and then you would lose some of the meaning, some of the emotion, kind of what the message you're trying to send, but Chris just does such a fine job, but the whole band actually really does a does a fine job on this song. That's an excellent point, uh, Eric. Well said for sure. Thank you. And then, oh, excuse me. And then we go to Agony and Ecstasy and Surprise, Surprise. This is my favorite song on the album. Because <laughs> it's one of the faster ones. And I always love the guitar on this song. Well, the whole album, actually. But Eric, what do you think of Agony and Ecstasy? You mentioned it earlier a little bit. Yeah. This wouldn't be out of place on, say, Power of the Night. Um, easily the heaviest track on the album. Um, again, John and Chris steal the show. Um, the uh, the accents by the bass and drums really elevate the verses. Um, I feel like that might be overlooked, maybe by the, the casual fan. Uh, but holy cow, did you hear that blistering guitar solo? Woo, rest in peace, Chris. Absolutely sizzling. And Billy, yeah, no, agree. Definitely one of the uh, the faster uh, album tracks. Sort of takes you back to the uh, older sabotage days. Uh, another great, uh, memorable song uh, by the band. Again, good use of the the backing vocals. I mean, I had Chris's uh, guitar work here, uh, but Eric already talked about that. And you know, from a story, uh, the, looking at the story here, uh, we've got DT struggling with his. Um, urge to go back uh, on drugs and his overall addiction so the song title and sort of the uh the aggressive song kind of fits well with the story as well so yeah good track and uh it, it's needed for what's to come i mean three of the album's heaviest uh emotional songs are still to come so from a pacing perspective it's good to get that one in Yes, you get like the fastest song and then you go to probably, I guess you would say the maybe the slowest song or because this Heal My Soul is just piano and vocals. And this is a very moving song to me. I don't know. And I don't can't really explain it. But even just the other day listening to it and just the emotions you get from it, from his piano and his vocals is just amazing. But it's actually kind of hard for me to listen to sometimes. So, Eric, what do you think of Heal My Soul? 
Um, yeah, th this is a pretty good tune. This, this is definitely another one where it just kind of brings things down a little bit. Um, it, it is simplistic, but it, it fits right on the album. I uh, don't really have much else to add. And Billy? Yeah, no, I, I think you said it well, Blake. Again, just it really hits me, right? Like emotionally, as as these next three songs will. Uh, you know, it, there's not a lot going on, but it's powerful. Um, we also, something subtle here in the song, but that uh, children's choirs uh, back again, uh, <clears throat> used very well, sort of in the background, just, you know, I think we said it before, adds to, you know, makes the song a little bit more uh, haunting. Um, uh, Good point. Almost mm -hmm. gospel to, to some degree, but, you know, the story is really DT kind of finding, uh, coming across a homeless person and helping him. And um, so it's a way of him kind of healing his soul after some of the bad things he's done. Um, so, yeah, great track, emotional and powerful. And that's the thing, the song, like this is a concept album, of course, so it's part of the story. But if you just listen to the song and you have your own thoughts in your head of something else, like if you've lost a family member or whatever, and then that's why I think that's why it's kind of moving for us, or at least for me, when you listen to it and you think of, it makes you think of something else, not this DT guy, you're thinking of something else for yourself. And so it is an emotional song. So then we go to Somewhere in Time. Not the Iron Maiden album, but the song by Sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see, Billy, what do you think of Somewhere in Time? Yeah, so uh, again, I mean, I think just about everything, you know, is going to apply uh, from uh, Heal My Soul. But again, you got John and his beautiful piano opening, uh, you know, but then we do get, for contrast, some of uh, heavier uh, emotional music uh, along the way. Uh, John's vocals, uh, amazing. And, you know, Blake, I think you sort of hit it right on, right? I mean, there's a very clear story here, but you know, for me, the album connects emotionally, not because of this story, but just the way mm -hmm. I apply it to my life and yes. my um, individual interpretations. All these songs stand on their own. They don't need to be part of this story to make sense. Um, yes. But but anyways, yeah, slightly off uh, topic there. But just again, more great, mature, sabotage uh, songwriting um and you know from this on the story side again it's a spiritual for dd uh he's kind of realizing all his mistakes and you know kind of leads into believe where he's going to find what what gives him comfort and religion uh towards the end of the song and again we may not view it that way and uh but we we interpret as we want but that's sort of the way the story goes but just a great song and the heaviness at the end uh the way the and sort of the music peaks at the end uh, just before it goes back to John's piano. Just a great, well-written song. And Eric? <clears throat> I would uh, I would definitely echo what Billy said. He was, he was very apt in his description of the song. And something that I realized listening to this uh, album this week is, to me, Heal My Soul and Somewhere in Time by themselves, while not spectacular, they're decent songs. But when you listen to them back to back, I feel like there's a little bit more substance to them. And that kind of goes with what Billy was talking about with lyrically. Uh, but but to me, they, they really mesh very well back to back. So I, I like to listen to, of course, I'm, I, I am a bit more of a, I guess, a um, 
don't know if I'm going to call it a completionist, but I, I typically, with the bands that I listen to, I like to listen to the albums all the way through. And I think with these two tracks, really with these three final tracks, yeah, uh, you just you just feel that that finality, and they really they really mesh very well together. There's fluidity there. And then we finish the album with the song Believe, which, of course, is another emotional, great, powerful ballad. And Eric, what do you think of Believe? Uh, you know, uh, John Oliver definitely, uh, you know, does a fantastic job on this tune, uh, has one of his better vocal melodies. And the takeaway to me is that chorus. I mean, that chorus is just such a gem. Uh, they've obviously done it, you know, had a couple, you know, different versions before. You'll hear it with TSO, but the original is the absolute best, uh, in my opinion. Mm. It's a nice closing track. I'm normally not huge on slower songs closing out albums, but Sabotage pulls it off. They really do. I mean, it's it's a it's a excellent way um, fill in the adjective, but it's an it's the song stands on its own, but it's an excellent album closer. Billy. Yeah, no, uh, well said, Eric. I know in the last few podcasts, we've sort of talked about closing on like a powerful song. And, you know, in, in at least one case, we sort of went down on the uh, band for not ha- ending the album that way. But, you know, for Sabotage, it makes sense. I mean, and particularly for this album and, and closing this way for a rock opera, you know, even makes more sense. Um so yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's not fast, but but it, it is, you know. Um, f- again, for me, my favorite uh, sabotage song, and I know that's that's saying something given you know great songs off Hall of the Mounting King, but just for me personally, I I connect with the song so much. There's just uh, it's a song I listen to when I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm angry. Um, you know, it's just John's putting himself out there vocally, just his raw emotion on full display. Uh, um, just just an amazing song. I mean, some of the, the you know, the singing and not, not specifically to the lyrics. I mean, we all will interpret that our own way. But the way he sings, like some of these lines, like I am the light, uh, I am the dark. I mean, just so powerful. And he gets into mm-hmm. the, you know, I never wanted to know, never wanted to see. I wasted my time. Like just the way he sings those lines uh, are just chilling to me. Uh, just uh uh, uh, yeah, just just great emotional song. One of my favorite all time songs uh, by any band or or any genre. Just love it. And I was gonna say I do. I love the lyric. I wasted my time till time wasted me, and that has a lot of deep meaning. Mm-hmm. And all I ask of you is believe, believe that the album is over. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to rate the album. Uh, let's, well, Billy, what do you, well, I'm going to have a guess, but what do you rate this album? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's a 10 on 10. And uh, and again, I said it before, I get why, you know, it's not a, a favorite album for many Sabotage fans. But for me, um, I just connect with it on an emotional level. Uh, it has a lot of meaning for me and, and a deep connection. So again, no brainer, 10, 10, 10 out of 10 for me. Eric? I give it a, a strong nine. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the song and I don't want to do any, give you any spoilers for uh, album rankings, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more than respectable. Let's put it that way. 
And I was also, tw- oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, I was, I was just going to throw this in. I don't know how much time we we're going to spend on tours. Sounds like Billy's seen him a million times. I, I caught him twice, but this, the streets tour really made an impact on me. I will say that we were driving, uh, driving in a, a, just this downpour. And I was like, okay, am I going to be able to find my friend? I can't see, but 10 feet in front of me on the highway. Was able to pick him up. We went to a place called the Bayou in Washington, D.C., which is no more. And probably saw the loudest show I've seen in uh, quite a few years. They they cranked it up, and it, it was quite an experience. That that show, they played streets from beginning to end. So it made an impact. So maybe nine is, is not generous enough. But I give it a strong nine. I like it very much. And I also give it a nine. And we'll just we'll figure that out when I do my top album list because I love Sabotage. So this is just one of the ones I love. But I love a few more even better. And we'll do the live thing. You just kind of mentioned you seeing them live, and I've never seen them live, but I know Billy has. So, Billy, talk about walking or whatever you want to talk about with seeing them live. Yeah, no. So, I mean, not like some of my other bands that I've seen ridiculous amount of times to sabotage, uh, particularly in North America, uh, are not doing uh, tours uh, multiple times a year. uh, And they've been out of commission for many years. So, uh, but I I think I've seen them four times. Probably, you know, one, uh, you know, memorable because it's the first time I ever saw them uh, on the Gutter Ballet Tour. That was uh, at the Montreal Spectrum. So a uh, great show. That would have been uh, early to mid-1990, uh, I'm thinking. Um, but like Eric, a very memorable show for me was uh, on the Streets Tour. Uh, again, um we were in Montreal, but a much smaller venue than uh, where the uh, Gutter Ballet Tour was. I don't know if that was intentional, um, but it was a, a really memorable show uh, from, from on a few accounts. Uh, I think it was the the weather was really bad, so the band showed up like three and a half hours late. Um, wow. So, so I, I, I think the show kind of ended at 3 or 3.30 in the morning. Um <laughs> Uh, and so by the time they actually got, it was a weeknight, so the crowd wasn't great, even if they got there on time. But by the time they started, I think there were 25 or 30 people. Um, <laughs> and so just, and, and you know, and, and, you know, Montreal is, is a serious uh, metal city, uh, you know, arguably top two, top three in North America uh, for bands to play in terms of crowd size. So, so it was very odd, but, you know, it felt like the band was, playing to you so so that was pretty cool um you know they couldn't play the whole album uh because there was no no more time that the club had to close so we only got the first half of streets and and i think the last two uh tracks but what was cool is sabotage stuck around uh i got to chat with them all they signed all my stuff um and the fact that there were only 25 or 30 people uh, the band put on an amazing show like you know you, you would think they would dial it in but no mm-hmm. it was uh it was an excellent performance um and then lastly just you know the the highlight for me not just for sabotage but probably for for almost any concert was was the reunion show in uh whack and open air in germany uh 2015 blake you mentioned it at the start um i mean wouldn't you know this was essentially a joint sabotage and 
TSO uh, show. Uh, the two largest Wacken stages are side by side. Um, and so with 80,000 people, you know, in, in the pitch black, um, you know, the show started late at night uh, and Sabotage kicked off on the one stage just playing their songs. Um then on the right side, right beside the stage, TSO jumped in, uh, played their songs. And then for the final third of the show, both stages went live at the same time. And so playing like classic sabotage songs, but with TSO backing them up. Um, and so the light shows were completely synced. The vocalists, they couldn't see each other. Uh, they were side by side, but of course blocked by the sides of the stages. Um, and this was sort of the swan song, Apollo Neal. Like he put this whole thing together, um, put the bands into rehearsal for endless hours uh, to pull this major show off. Uh, but they did it. It was just fantastic. I mean, to hear, like, you know, I, I talked about Believe, you know, one of my favorite songs. Uh, I mean, they, they played that song uh, towards the end of the show. And you had like John Oliva uh, on his uh, keyboard on the left stage. And, you know, they had uh, a TSO singer, uh, Robin Borneman, who, who's a great singer, but where John's vocals are clean, he's a bit raspy. And so you're standing there and the lights hit the one stage and John plays, then that stage goes dark and the other stage goes on and Robin plays. They're doing a duet on that song. Um <laughs> just incredible the whole tso uh backing singers are doing the backing vocals for the song uh all the uh musicians are playing just yeah I, it was just synchronized to perfection uh arguably the best concert moment in history for me uh, i gotta say i was standing there in the cold and it was probably raining uh but you know it was just such an a, a, an emotional moment that kind of overtook me uh uh, so to, to this day, it stands as my greatest uh, hearing believe uh, played this way uh, as one of my greatest concert memory ever. That does sound pretty awesome. <laughs> that must have been quite a treat, Billy. Whew. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't even like I, again, like maybe like I wasn't, you know, I'm not afraid to admit. Like I think I had tears sort of coming down my eyes on that field there, just hearing this beautiful song played this way. It's just incredible. And now, now I have seen, I did see Trans Siberian Orchestra once at one of the Christmas shows. So that's, I guess, the closest I've come to seeing sabotage was that. And actually, Paul O'Neill sent me an email once. Because I wrote a, I wrote an album review for TSO's Beethoven's last night, and I don't know, he just wanted to thank me for the review or something like that. So that was kind of special. Oh, that's very cool. That. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Anyway, so now we're gonna get to our. Now we're doing our top twelve, or we're doing we're ranking sabotage albums. So we have twelve. We included the EP Dungeons Are Calling from 1984 in this list, but not. Because I think there was two other EPs, but I think those were just singles and things like that, really. So we're going to do 12. I'm going to let Eric go first in case he has to leave. And you can either start at, I guess you start at 12, I guess, and work your way backwards, I guess, is how we do this. That sounds like a plan, Blake. All right. So at number 12, the only album that I actually dislike by Sabotage is Handful of Rain. Um, 
it this one just uh never never really seemed to gel uh to me uh at number 11 dungeons are calling um that one you could definitely definitely hear the potential of the band um sirens at number 10 uh holocaust is uh you know, there's some cool stuff on there uh actually sirens the title track but that's yeah, a good album uh the production i feel like with dungeons are calling and sirens it's going to happen with bands their early albums you know the production's a little bit tough but uh fight for the rock you can really start to uh start to see what the band is capable of i like that one at number nine power of the night number eight how about some washed out <laughs> There's some there's some cool stuff on that album as well. Um, at number seven, uh, this is where it's kind of got tricky for me this week. There are a couple moments here, but I went with Poets and Mad Men. It wasn't easy for me because there's just a lot of ridiculously great guitar playing on this album. Some really good songs. I went with Dead Winter Dead at number six. Uh, honestly, those two really could flip flop depending on my mood. Um, it's a good good album. Um, with that one, you could really see kind of where Sabotage kind of was leaning towards the, uh, or kind of where TSO was going to be born. Some of those influences, uh, Paul O'Neill had some, had some ideas and some input on that album. And, uh, and you could just see some where the direction of the band was going and where TSO was going to be born there. Edge of Thorns, number five. Um, this one had just, oh gosh, speaking of guitar solos, just, had some of the best guitar solos. A couple of the songs sound a little bit hair rock to me. Um, and that's where Zach kind of sometimes his voice would kind of get kind of go there. But um, there, there's some he carves a stone. I mean, come on. Such a great tune. There's some good ones on there. Number four, Hall of the Mountain King. One of my absolute favorite songs by Sabotage. That song is an 11 out of 10 um i was this is the album that i was exposed to sabotage on it's a pretty dark album uh it's well done um i could probably tell you about every song but maybe that's another podcast <laughs> um number two and three was probably the hardest for me um and i'm, I'm looking at it right now number three for me it's it's gonna be streets uh i i would call it more of a, like a 2b uh we've covered this entire you know album on this podcast um the the tour really made quite the impact on me as well number two wake of magellan uh, slight edge um you know again it's more of a kind of a mood for me um it, it's definitely i don't know if i could say it's a more progressive album than streets streets is a concept album wake of magellan has a lot of prog progressive elements i do like what zachary does vocally and what john does um uh, it's a very, probably, arguably the most musical album by Sabotage. Number one, uh, this is it. Uh, I actually was going to dust off the shirt today for the podcast, but Gutter Ballet is going to do it for me. A guitar player in my first band lost one of my uh, albums. Hey, uh, let me just give you a Gutter Ballet. He hands that to me. I played it that night after band practice said oh my goodness this is never heard anything quite like this it has heaviness it's got that operatic you know classical orchestration going on uh, the title track is just brilliant the whole album from beginning to end i mean just makes such a lasting impression um thorazine shuffles kind of a sneaky awesome closer 
if you can really combine those words, uh, those descriptions together. I love that album beginning to end. Um, that was uh, that was the first tour I saw them on, just like Billy. It was at a small place in Baltimore called the Network Nightclub. The ceiling must have been about eight to ten feet. It was a super small place. And uh, both Chris's were in the band at the time. So I felt like now looking back, I was just incredibly uh, lucky to, to see them. They sounded great. They absolutely, absolutely destroyed it. And and uh, I don't know if they could do the album justice, but they sounded exactly like the album, which pretty tough to do. So that's my list. OK, that's awesome. Billy, I'll let you go now then. Yeah, so uh, some similarities, uh, but some some drastic differences as well. But I mean, that I'm makes sure. sense with all the different eras and, and styles and sabotage. So for me, number 12, um, this one will uh, maybe shock Eric, but uh, The Wake of Magellan is my uh, least Ooh. favorite uh, sabotage mm. album. Uh, and it's not about Zach. Like, I love uh, Zach Stevens vocally and some of his albums are at the very top of my list. So uh, it, it just for me personally, I think this might be one too many concept albums. Uh, I mean, we already had Streets and Dead, Winter Dead. And so moving into the wake of Magellan, uh, um, just never really clicked with me, to be honest. Uh, I, I always found it uh, a, a little boring, uh, to, to be uh, blunt. Um, hmm. But again, that's just me. We all hear things uh, differently, for sure. Um, then number 11 for me, Fight for the Rock. Uh, certainly, I mean, not necessarily an odd, an odd album looking back at the catalog, but at the time, very odd, right? Falling, uh, you know, just before uh, Hall of the the mountain king but coming after sirens obviously the 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 record label pushing them into a commercial direction um and for me, the two cover songs, like, like, I don't get it. Like, Sabotage doesn't need cover songs. They're they're excellent songwriters. So that kind of never made any sense uh, to me. Um, then number three for me, uh, I mean, sorry, number 10. Um, for me, Poets uh, and Mad Men. Uh, you know, we've said it, John's uh, full return. But for me, just directionally, the band kind of feels uh, unsure uh, and maybe out of new ideas like a lot of this you know we've definitely heard before um not a bad album but if i have to rank these it, it kind of goes to uh, number 10 for me but i think eric did say this i mean here the i mean obviously chris is gone not with us here but uh, the guitar playing on the album is kind of the highlight for me al petrelli does a, a great job there um so moving to number nine i have dead winter dead um, so mentioned it already, another concept album, uh, first record, uh, I believe with Chris, uh, Caffrey, um, Again, stylistically more in line with TSO, but I think for me, uh, unlike Wake of Magellan, I think the songwriting here is more memorable, uh, and this one did kind of click with me. Uh, number eight, I have uh, Dungeons Are Calling, so six songs here, uh, only about 25 minutes of music. So I, I think it's got great songs, strong material, old school sabotage, but kind of rank it a bit lower given it's only uh, 
25 minutes. Um, number seven, uh, and you know, this is probably a controversial one, uh, but for me, Handful of Rain, um, you know, certainly would be a tough album after Chris's death. Um, we got uh, Alex Skolnick, who's playing guitars of Testament fame, but it certainly doesn't sound like a, like a Testament album. Uh, I mean, for me personally, I think this is their most underrated album. Uh, yeah, I miss Chris here, but, you know, I just think there's a lot of uh, unique and interesting song ideas here. The title track, uh, I love Zach Stevens is fantastic. Um, but, you know, even a song like Chance, right? It's just very innovative. You know, some might not like it, but the six or seven vocal layers on the track towards the end, uh, I thought that was really cool. I like that. So for me, I think it's a good album. Um, interesting to note on that one. Uh, we actually don't have, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Middleton and, and their uh, drummer didn't want to play. They weren't ready. Um, so this really is, you know, sort of a solo uh, John Oliva project uh, overall. Uh, with the help of uh, Alex. Um, number six, Power of the Night. Um, so again, classic, strong, sabotage material. But for me, uh, a couple weaker songs. So moves it, uh, moves it down to uh, number six. I mean, the sound is shifting, uh, you know, uh, from uh, Sirens and Dungeons, uh, getting a, a little bit more, I don't know, mainstream, uh, dare I say. Uh, number five for me, Sirens, Sabotage Debut. Uh, debut album just just a classic metal album um you know uh, agree that the production is going to be rough but that's to be expected uh, in the early 80s but you know sabotage was such a unique band uh, at that time and you know uh this was really the john and chris show and it was quite clear that both of these uh, guys would would become part of the metal elite i think uh on that early album Number four, Edge of Thorns. Uh, and again, this is just excellent sabotage songwriting. Uh, love Zach Stevens on the album. Uh, of course, we have to know last album to feature uh, uh, Chris Oliva. So very sad from that perspective. But uh, I think Zach just perfectly fits the, uh, the music here. Number three, Hall of the Mountain King. So definitely my favorite sabotage album uh, before shifting to to the orchestration or, or more rock opera style uh love this uh, album hall of the mountain king but then you know we we jump to you know that mid stage is the sweet spot for me uh you know moving from the 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 uh, Hall of the Mounting King, but not going too far on the TSO spectrum. Uh, Gutter Ballet, just an excellent song. The band uh, mixing the old style, but bringing in the orchestration. Uh, again, just a, a great uh, album. Two incredible ballads, Crowds Are Gone, Summer's Rain. Uh, fantastic. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, Streets. I, I've, I've, I've talked to that one to death. Uh, so that's my number one, uh, Street. So, yeah, just a great catalog, uh, something for everybody. And, yeah, we all hear it differently. So uh, surely we're all going to rank them differently. But great band. Yes. Okay. So mine, now my, my bottom three are like, three of their first four albums actually because <laughs> a lot of times i like bands first albums more than i do the later ones but i guess i really like the way they went 
the sound they changed to or whatever. So that really took it. So my number 12 is their 86 album, Fight for the Rock. Their num- my number 11 is Power of the Night. And I have Sirens, their debut at number 10. Number nine, I have Handful of Rain. I don't really need to say much about the albums. You guys have already kind of covered it anyway. I have Wake of Magellan as my number eight. Number seven, I go up to uh, Edge of Thorns as Yes, I Love. He carves his stone and Scraggy's tomb. I love those tracks. Number six, I have the EP Dungeons Are Calling as I love Dungeons Are Calling, of course. And Midas Night is one of my favorite sabotage songs. Number five, I have Poets and Mad Men. And number four, I have Streets. So I would have gave that a nine, like I said. And so my top three, I would have gave all the top three a 10 if we were doing those albums, which we might do someday. (laughs) So number three, I got Dead Winter Dead from 1995. And, oh, I love the, by on that album, I love the instrumental Mozart and Madness. I've always kind of liked classical music too. I like heavy metal and I like classical. So I love that instrumental. Number two, I got Hall of the Mountain King, of course. And number one is a gutter ballet, just like Eric. So I have gutter ballet as my top sabotage help. So there we go. If we were to combine our list, uh, the number one probably would be gutter ballet if we sort of averaged out our ratings. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be close. And like I have streets for, what did you have streets at, Eric? Streets was I had it at number three, but like I said, yeah, so with, that, that, with that and Wake of Magellan, man, it just, honestly it depends on the time of day. So, yeah, <laughs> but that, that's a great one. It's, it's it's so memorable. Okay, yeah. So this is I don't know. This is one of my favorite bands. Like I said, and like I just love the way that they went with the classical thing or the instrumentation, the choirs, the piano, all that stuff. It's just I don't know. It's a great band, and I do hope they do what Billy was talking about and make a new album. That'd be awesome to see, and hopefully I get the chance to see them live since I never have. So that would be great if it was possible, but I know them coming to Canada might be a stretch, so we'll see. So anyway, thanks guys for joining me. I'm going to mention that the next episode, we're going to be talking about Black Sabbath's album, Heaven and Hell. Oh, nice. And so... uh Make sure everybody checks out our website again, themetalpit.org, for everything we have to offer. Thanks, Billy and Eric, for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Goodbye.